Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Question I've been asking myself <clears throat> since yesterday morning, actually. I want to press to you because I think it actually matters for us here. How do you know when it's time to go? How do you know when it's time to go? I was at a wedding yesterday morning. It was a dear friend of ours, 15 years. We've been friends. We met in New Jersey when I was doing my uh, doctoral work there. Holly uh, formed a, what we would call a life group, a small group together with a few other ladies. So they got to be very close. And ever since then, even when we moved away, they've been traveling to be together for an extended weekend to pray and share and support each other face to face every year. So it's a dear friend and she happened to move back to Spring Hill and then we just moved this last year back here. So now we're living close together and then a, a, a long-term answer to prayer came through and she got married yesterday to a wonderful Christian soul. So we just had to get down there and celebrate with them. We were down in the Columbia area, this beautiful Rolling Hills place in Tennessee, perfect sunny day. Was sitting in the Airbnb afterwards. This is this house that they'd rented to have the wedding, a small wedding outside. <clears throat> and we were just relating and having a good time talking. And eventually, of course, the bride came over and sat right next to Holly and they're practically cuddled up on a couch, you know, whispering and talking and laughing. And I'm relating to some of uh, her new relatives, her in-law, and trying to get to know all these folks. And we're, we're enjoying that, and I'm not paying attention to all that's happening around me. A lot of time went by. And I heard this voice behind me say to the, the new husband, he said, you know, I should have realized, I'm so sorry, my apologies, that when you sent us the Google Maps pin, that was your little subtle clue that we should get going to, to get to the restaurant or wherever it was they were going. And I heard that, just let it go by. We talked a few minutes more, and then I heard the same guy say almost the exact same thing right behind me to the husband again. I really am sorry. My apologies. I should have recognized that when you sent the pen, that was our cue, and I missed it. A few minutes later, the same guy says the same stinking thing, and you know how it is at weddings. You just have to put up with everybody who's there. You know, some people are fun and enjoyable, and some people are just like, why are you that way? But, oh, well, you're related. And that's kind of how I'm feeling about this guy right now. You keep saying the same thing. Get over yourself. The fourth time he says it, you know, I can get really focused with people when I'm in a conversation. That's all that's going on. Sometimes it's dangerous for me if I'm really into the conversation to be the one driving because that's all that's going on is the conversation. Holly will say, you watch the road. I'll worry about me. And I don't want to see your face. You, gotta, you know, I'm a very focused person relationally. And I looked up and I realized that everybody else had gone except the bride and the groom and us and that one guy. And what he was trying to do was to help us overhear the clue that it was time for us to go. And right after he said it the fourth time, the husband said, yeah, yeah, we all got to get out of here. And I missed it. How do you know when it's time to go? And when you should stay a little longer. That's really what we're asking today out of this passage in 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up. After the Gospels, Acts, and Romans, you get to first, then 2 Corinthians. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 
8 today. Last week, we heard Pastor James talking about the first section in this chapter, about the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. This week, we're starting in verse 16, and we're going to hear about three people who figured out that it was time to go. Three different ways they figured it out, but three people who found out it was time to go. Verse 16, let me read it to you. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Now he's speaking to the Corinthian church, and this letter is being read to them publicly, and he's getting ready to speak about these three people. They're standing in Corinth while this letter is being read about them. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, Titus is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, so a third brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Studying this passage and, and meditating on it, the first thing I noticed is that there's three different ways the call comes. How do you know when it's time to go? Well, it's not always the same way. Sometimes it comes in different ways. Let me just name the three different ways that are in this passage real quickly. First of all, there's the volunteer. There's Titus. So Titus, in verses 16 through 17, he volunteered. He heard the appeal, Paul says, but he said of his own accord he wanted to go. So it was a public appeal like you heard from Pastor James. Pastor James last week said we need $250,000. That's in addition to what we've set aside from the stewardship of our funds here at Brentwood. That may sound like a lot uh, to a family budget, but when you think about a larger scale organization, that's not as much as what it sounds like. It's a startup sort of fund. And we need 250 people. 125 will be prayer warriors, 125 who will go to Dixon for the next two years. That's what we need. That's a public appeal. Why are we doing it that way? If you just send a few people to plant a church and they work hard to plant a church, there's about a a 50% failure rate. It's a flip of a coin. Flip of a coin. Uh, In a a book written not so long ago about uh, the multi-site revolution of churches, they tell us that if you actually send a community of people and give them systems and structures and resources and support, it's about a 90% success rate. 50% failure rate, 90% success rate. Which do you want? We want the 90% success rate. We want to do it well. So we gave a public appeal. Titus felt something stirring in his heart. He volunteered. That's John and Casey, two down, 123 to go. Praise God. What percentage of that is it? We're along the way. A little less than 2%. A little less than 2 We need some more. He volunteered. The second kind of calling is an appointed one. So this anonymous brother, this second anonymous brother, in verses 18 through 21, we read that he's appointed by the church. Now, Paul doesn't write his name. He writes Titus's name because Titus is one who's already been to Corinth. They know him. Whoever this is, they don't know him as well. 
He's well known in all the churches, but they don't know him. Some people think Luke, some people think Apollos, some people think maybe Zenos the lawyer. Lots of theories, but it's not written. We don't know. Uh, what we do know is that the church and its authority to this person who had submitted himself to the church appointed him to go. He didn't volunteer. He was told. Now, there's a difference between submission and agreement. You know that? A lot of Christians say they're submitted to the authority of the church until they don't agree with what they're asked to do. I'm in submission, I'm in submission, I'm in submission. I'm not talking about doctrine and heresy, and I'm not talking about right and wrong. I'm talking about style or preference or method or, or, or practical wisdom decisions made by the leadership of the church. We're, we're very submitted to the church if they do it the way we want it done. We're very submitted to the church if they use the resources the way we think they should. Now, it's not that we can't have feedback back and forth, but when our submission is really tested is when we're not sure we agree or we see it a different way at the front end. And this person was appointed, told. Now, Pastor Darrell, if you were here last week, you saw him down front in the ministry team uh, ready to pray for others at the altar. Pastor James highlighted him and said, Pastor Darrell has been appointed. He didn't use that language, but that's what it was. He's been appointed to go give oversight to this church in Bethel Dixon. He didn't want to go. He didn't volunteer to go. It's not that he's resisting it or hateful of it. He's joyful about it. That wasn't his choice. But when it was appointed, he went. Some volunteer, some are appointed, some are recruited. That's the third type. This brother in verse 22, uh, I kind of picture it this way. This is a lapel, a little buttonhole up here. We used to call this buttonholing somebody. Uh, you go up and you grab them right here and you pull them in close and you say, look, buddy, do you love me? I need you. I need you. I need you in Corinth. I need you to go. Would you do it for me? Will you, will you do it for me? It's this close, personal, nose-to-nose relationship. Now, Paul says he's tested them in many ways and found them earnest in many things. In other words, they've got a very close relationship of deep trust. And Paul says, if I have to, I'm emptying my bank account with you right now. Will you go? I got two or three people in my life that if they come and buttonhole me, I'll do that for. Just two or three, and I will not tell you who they are or you'll try to get to me through them. I know how you play it. You're like, I'll get that person to talk to Pastor Dave, and then he'll do anything they say. I won't tell you who they are, but there's just two or three that have that pull on me, and man, if they come up, God has to actually tell me no. I don't need a yes. God has to tell me no for me not to go, because for that person, because of who they've been to me and what they've done for me and who they are in Christ, and there's no selfishness in their heart, and I trust them from head to toe, and they've been tested in every way, there's no way they're using me. I'm going to do what they ask me to do. Some of us may volunteer. Some of us may be appointed. Some of us may be recruited. There's three different kinds of calls in this passage what I realized, though, as I studied it, is that's not the most important thing about how we know when it's time to go. There are different calls. I went back and read the passage, though, and that's not what Paul emphasized the most. He kind of just flies by how they got into this thing. What he emphasizes more than the calling is the gifting. There's actually three different types of gifts among these three different leaders that are going to Corinth. 
The first one is the leader, Titus. I'm glad he's named because we might not know this otherwise. But if you go and might as well flip there just for fun, flip to Titus. You don't have to go there yourself unless you want to. I got it real quick. Titus, in the book of Titus, he writes a letter to this first person, says to Titus, my true child in the common faith, etc., etc. Verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order. Appoint elders, those are leaders, in every town as I directed you. Then gives the descriptions of what church leaders should be like, gives them instructions for how he should lead the leaders. Let me tell you something. On a scale of one to 10, if you have a three leader, they don't lead a nine leader. Just doesn't happen, doesn't work. If you want to lead leaders who are level four, five, six, or seven, you've got to have a nine level leader to lead that three, four, five, six, seven leader. In other words, Titus is a leader of leaders. He's not just a leader, he's got the gift of leadership. Do you see it? So the first type of gifting that is sent to Corinth is leader. Let me tell you something, you'll never, you'll never have too many leaders in a church. We don't have too many leaders here at Brentwood. We could use some more. We could use some more right here. Two, the second gift is teaching. The second brother who is sent to Corinth, now Philippi, where it was probably written, is up in Macedonia. Corinth is down in southern Greece. It's a pretty long journey. They're not coming back right away. The second brother is sent to teach, apparently. Uh, in some translations, it says this brother's praise is in the gospel. In other translations, it says he's well known for the gospel. In some translations, famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. It's a little flexible phrase there that gives us a gamut of possibilities. Some people think this is Luke, the historian, the, the author of the gospel. Some people think it's Apollos. I like that span because of the difference. When I think about Luke, you know how I think about him? He wrote this most historical of all gospels. And he carefully went through and found everything and put it all in order. He said, it seemed good to me to put everything in order for you, most excellent Theophilus. Just the way he writes makes me think of a tweed jacket and a bow tie or something, you know? So here's this tweed jacket and a bow tie guy with all his scrolls and like bifocals on the end of his nose rushing in to try to teach people over in Corinth, dropping his scrolls and picking them back up. Excuse me, sorry. Excuse me, sorry. Picking them up. I don't, Luke isn't like the most impressive upfront uh, person, but he's a great teacher of the gospel. He wrote the gospel. We do have good markers in the New Testament that it might be him he's talking about. But then you have Apollos way over here who can, who can hold a crowd of thousands. He can, he can weave a spell over people just by sprinkling words like magic gold dust into the air. Something about Apollos, he could just bring people into the moment. He was the golden-mouthed preacher that put Paul to shame. Man, when he preached the gospel, the trees got saved. He was a preacher. He was a preacher's preacher. The roof started repenting when he opened up his mouth. So you got Apollos over here and then you got Luke over here and they have the same gift in different versions, a teaching, preaching gift. And Luke might have thought, I don't have the gift because I don't got what he got. And Luke and Apollos might have said, well, I'm not as brilliant as him. I just kind of stumble my way through and wouldn't even realize his gift. But each of them could see the other. They're both teaching gifts. 
We need teachers, and we need teachers in children. We need teachers in youth. We need teachers in young adults. We need teachers in campus ministry. We need teachers for adults. We need teachers in divorce care and teachers in grief care. We need teachers in every life group. We just started 33 new life groups. We need at least 30 more just to meet the people in Brentwood we already have. You never run out of a need of teachers. Third, gift is serving. The third gift I see in this passage that's mentioned is the gift of service. We don't often think about serving as a gift. We think, of, oh, that one's gifted. Oh, that one's gifted. And then somebody gets something done that just needs done, and we think, oh, thanks for getting that done. There's a certain gifting to it. It's not just a temperament. If you have this gift, God has enabled you to feel what others are feeling sometimes before they know they're feeling it to see a need that someone else has before they even recognize they have the need. You know, my oldest daughter just went to college. This is one of her spiritual gifts. She actually knows what I feel before I'm feeling it, and sometimes I have to say, what just happened? And then she tells me, and I realize, oh, I didn't even know I was feeling that yet, and you're carrying it for me already. Well, I guess I don't have to worry about it. Go on, you know. You kind of have to slow it down in her. We're recognizing how many things she would do around the house because she'd do them real quick before anybody knew they didn't even need it done. So now you walk out like, why is the laundry not folded? Why isn't the dishwasher <laughs> unloaded? Didn't that magically happen by elves in the night? Where'd the elves go? To Seattle. <laughs> to school. It's not fair. Bring her back. Uh, she's, she's a gift in who she is. And part of that gift is her ability to serve, to fill in any gap when that gap reveals itself. Uh, this is Pastor Will Smith, who was on the keys, by the way, today. Did you enjoy Pastor Will and the choir? Wasn't that fun? You don't always know that Pastor Will's the one back there running the show, but uh, when you see his shoulders start going, you know we're, we're, we're about ready for something. But uh, this is his Frisbee, ultimate Frisbee Frisbee. I love Ultimate Frisbee. There's a few sports that I've been knocked out cold in. Ultimate Frisbee, believe it or not, is one of them. You wouldn't think that. You think this is just a friendly game that people just, you know. But no, it can get intense. When I was in college, we got very intense with it. I got knocked all the way out, not partially out, all the way out. We were playing at night, big slicing throw, diving back through the night. I was running full speed, laid myself all the way out, nothing left touching the ground, reaching for this Frisbee. A friend of mine on the other team was doing the same at an angle where we didn't see each other in each other's blind spot, and we met head-to-head -head contact in the air as I uh, was about to get the Frisbee. Knocked us both out stone cold, completely gone. When I woke up, there's five people above me asking me if I'm all right. I'm fine, I'm fine, I have no idea who they are. I'm fine. They asked me if I wanted to keep playing. I said, what are we playing? <laughs> so they said, maybe you shouldn't keep playing. I said, probably not, I'm gonna go home. I started to walk off. I said, Dave, 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 you live that way. <laughs> you live that way. I had no clue where I was, what I was doing, who they were, or where home was. I got knocked flat out. He went to the hospital, the other dude, I should have, and then I just went back home. And that's why I am the way I am today. <laughs> um, there's three types of people you need on every ultimate Frisbee team. You need a captain. Somebody who's gonna lead that team together towards a synergistic strategy that helps all the different ways and abilities of the team work together in a coherent whole. If uh, half the team is trying for the long bomb all the time and half the team is trying for the short passes, you're not coordinating. If there's nobody back on defense, they're gonna eat you up. You need a captain. 
You just do. They may not be the best player on the team. They're just the leader. You, you, then you need somebody who has that precision pass. You need a few people who can just precision pass. They put it right where it's supposed to be every time. They can do it this way. They can do it that way. They can do it this way, but it goes right where it's supposed to be. It can thread the needle in between two defenders. You need good precision passes. I think you're drawing the connections, aren't you? We need good precision teachers. We need leaders, yes, but we need people who teach with clarity, who put the doctrine right where the doctrine is supposed to go, who put the application right where the application is going to go. But, you know, two years ago when we had our uh, ultimate Frisbee competition at the picnic, I missed it this year. I don't know how it went. But uh, two years ago, I played every ultimate Frisbee game but one in that 95-degree heat. Um, I didn't win every game. I won quite a few. I was exhausted by the end, and I was not much good. I was not much good by the latter half. But one person was completely undefeated. He played every game. We changed teams. We changed captains. We changed strategies. But every team he was on won every time. We affectionately do call him Captain because his last name is Rogers, and we're making fun of his Captain America looks. But Christian Rogers was the undefeated one, if you know Christian. He works in our campus ministry. He's a a ministry assistant to Pastor James. Christian uh, was Mr. Energy. I don't have a name for this otherwise on the team. It's not like they play a position or have a specific skill set, but they never stop giving it 120% on every single play. No matter how long the throw was, he's trying to get there. No matter how far it was to get to it, he was the one swatting down, rolling down, (laughs) falling over, cutting in. And after 10 games in 90-some degree heat, was still giving it. Mr. Energy, and so no team he was on ever lost. Sometimes the things we think are least important make the biggest difference of all. The church needs leaders, the church needs teachers, the church needs servants. I don't know if you recognize this, but almost every single one of you has one of those gifts in your gift mix. You may have other spiritual gifts, but you have one of those. I went back and read through the passage, though, and I realized that's still not the thing Paul emphasized most. Just how the calling come was important, how, what gifting they had was important. That's not what he emphasized most. I want to get to the answer, though, of the question, which is how do we know when it's time to go before I tell you what he emphasized most? It's a simple acronym. You can write it down if you're taking notes. Four letters, and then we'll put a word on each letter, R-S-V-P. Because we're asking you to R-S-V-P to whether or not you're going to be a part of this Dixon Church plant. But this process works for any time of transition you're going through. First, you have to recognize there's a need. Second, you surrender to yes and no. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says to present your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, put yourself up on the altar. George Mueller, that great warrior of prayer, warrior of faith, taught those who listened to him to pray this way. He said, if you want to know God's will, get to the point where you're equally happy for him to say yes or no. Until you're equally happy with him saying yes or no, you're probably just putting your words, your desires in God's mouth and saying it's him. And you can't see clearly until you're fully surrendered and the emotion level of surrender is much harder than the mental level of surrender. This is the hardest part of the process is laying down what you want so that you can truly say your kingdom come, your will be done. And until we can pray the way the Lord prayed, we're not going to be able to receive the Lord's will. 
Actually, Romans 12 goes on to say in chapter 3 that we need to verify the answer. It says, test and approve what the good and pleasing will is of the Lord. You have to test it and approve it. You test it in community. You test it with scripture. You write in journals. You talk with those who are close to you. And let me just say for a moment, this is very personal to me right now when I'm talking about this. This is not just some idea, it's not just some theory. For the last two years, my family had to go through this process to figure out whether or not we should be here. Where I'm standing today, two years ago, we were wrestling with the fact that I had been informed of a need at this church, you, by my dear friend, and was invited to consider that, and we had to surrender. And I said to my family, we're gonna get all of us on our knees, and we were in our living room, physically on our knees, because if I just think I have the answer and we don't verify it as a family, we're just gonna end up in bitterness and resentment, trust me. We all have to be called here or none of us are called here, we're going together. So it all has to be yes. And let me be honest for a moment, that's not been an easy yes. We love y'all. But take three teenagers and rip them up from the place where they've been rooting themselves for the last 10, 11 years. Take a family and move them to a place where they're farther away from all family that they do have, farther away from what their experience has been, to a different culture, a different place. It's not easy. They're doing fine. They're amazing. I, I'm just, I couldn't be prouder of them. I don't want you to worry about them. But I'm telling you, when you look, and look for a surrender with God, don't expect the idol of comfort to not fall down. If you want the Lord's will, you might as well go ahead and topple the idol of comfort before you start asking him what he wants of you. Because that's not what he's most worried about. Recognize the need. Surrender to yes and no. Verify the answer and then pray for the right heart. This is the most important thing. In the whole passage, it took me so long to finally see it. Some sermons come easy and then there was this one. Listen to what he repeats the most, starting in verse 16. Thanks be to God who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. Verse 17, he himself being earnest is going to you of his own accord. Then you skip down and you go all the way down to verse 21, for we aim at what is honorable, then 22, with him we're sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many manners, but is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. Earnestness in the Greek is a zeal, a passion, a desire for what is most important and what is most urgent, and it's often connected to the needs of other people. In other words, it's really that triangle of concern when you love a person and you know that there's a need that forms the triangle of concern because your love wants the best for them. If there's no need, you're just celebrating. If you recognize there's a need and there's no love, you hope somebody else will do something about it. But when you have love and you recognize a need, it always leads you to an earnest, eager desire to do something about it. In other words, the most important thing is not how we receive the call or what gifts we have. It's the heart God puts in us. And that's the good news. Titus didn't have the heart. God put it there. Let me read again in verse 16. Thanks be to who? Who? Thanks be to God who put into the heart of 
Titus the same earnest care I have for you. I believe this is true. When you're called to shepherd a group of people, God puts in you a love for them you couldn't come by humanly. I've experienced that many times. When you're called to serve a group of people, God puts an earnest care for you, for them in you that you couldn't come by humanly. When you really want to teach people well, if you don't have that concern, something else will come out. When you put that there, instead of a leader, you have a loving leader. When you put that there, instead of a teacher, you have a passionate teacher. When you put that there, instead of a servant, you have a joyful servant. And that loving leader, and, and, and that loving leader, and that, uh, that passionate teacher, and that joyful servant, when you put them together in the same room, it's like dynamite. You, can all, you almost have to try to fail. You almost have to try to not have people's lives changed. Because people feel that difference when the heart is behind the actions, but you can go where God told you to go and go the wrong way. Uh, One last story and I'm done. In New Jersey, uh, when we lived there, went to Lowe's on the first week I was there. I needed a part. Went to the customer service desk. And by the way, customer service is an oxymoron in the state of New Jersey. It's just like, they make you feel bad desk. Uh, I went up and I said, hey, there's a part I need. I told them the part. You guys carry that there. They said, well, do you have the SKU number? The what? The SKU number. Do you have the SKU number? And at first, I didn't know what the SKU number was. And then I remembered, oh, yes, that's what you call the number. Um, you know, if I had that number, then I would know that you had that part. I, I don't have the number you put on parts uh, for this part because I don't know if you have the part. Can you look it up? If you don't have the SKU number, I don't know how in the world you want me to help you. It was kind of like that. I decided I wasn't going to get any help from the help desk and walked away. Here's an important phrase just for you to drop in your heart. People are our purpose, not our problem. We can be in our position, doing our assigned task, when the very reason we're there in that position for that assigned task comes in front of us and we do the opposite of the thing we were set there to do. We're filling the slot, but we're undercutting the purpose because we're treating the people like a problem to solve, not the very purpose for our existence. We exist for each other. And there's a need put in front of us. Would you stand to your feet? There are other needs. Let me tell you something. Do you think there are no gaps here in Brentwood, Tennessee for our church? Uh, Of course there are. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to say to the Lord, Lord, would you put in my heart an earnest concern for the people of Dixon, Tennessee? And if he puts in your heart an earnest concern, then you ask him, what do you need me to do? You need me to pray? Do you need me to give? Do you need me to go? I'll do whichever thing you say. I'll surrender to it. But first put the concern there. First put the love there. And if he puts the love there, then you'll be better able to surrender because you realize that your purpose is always connected to other people. It's not just for you alone. In a moment, the ministry team is going to come. Go ahead and actually come forward now, ministry team, if you're prepared to pray, ministry team, pastors, and leaders. Pastor James is coming with JT, and uh, they're going to close the service. Or is, is JT here? Where is JT? 
There you go, JT is just coming. Uh, he has a, a, an opportunity for us to go to Dixon that he's going to present. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Make sure before we, before we turn to JT, I present this to you. If God is stirring in your heart about Dixon, I'd like to ask you, I'm asking you, this is Dave asking you to do one thing. If God's stirring in you in this service, I want you to come talk to one of these leaders and actually pray together and say, is God asking me to do something? Is he asking me to be a prayer warrior? Is he asking me to give? But most of all, we need people who will get in their car and drive to Dixon every week for two years. Maybe you live in Fairview. Maybe you live in Dixon. We have people who've been driving from Dixon for a long time coming here. Don't know if you know that. But we need people who will commit to that. I'd like to ask you to come Take a little extra time, pray with another member of your church, and say, Lord, are you calling me? Do you think you could do that? You might need to grab the person next to you or your whole family and say, look, there's a stirring in my heart. Maybe it's not in yours, but let's just go pray. Let's discern together and come together to this space to put yourselves up on the altar. That's the, small, that's the large request. But JT, we have a smaller request we can give to them, don't we? Yeah, a very practical step is uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to have a work day in Dixon. We're going to get the building ready, and we're going to try to make it look as much like our sanctuary as possible in our building. So if you're a professional, I would really love to have you. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, demolition, a lot of framing, a lot of tearing out stuff. So uh, you'll be... An email will be sent out with the address and all the things, but it'll be 8.30 to 12.30 this Saturday. So that's a very practical step. If you're not, if you're not a professional, I'll still take you, but... <laughs> we'll but have, you know, we'll, if you're not a professional like me, you've got you to help us make sure we don't destroy what you meant to keep. We'll have fun. Right? We'll have you know, fun. Put a sledgehammer in these hands. It'll just keep going, going, going. It'll be fun. It's happened more than once. Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> the other uh, thing is tomorrow night at 6, there's a community group tomorrow night. In Dixon. Uh, in Dixon. So that's another opportunity to go and just go, pray, see, ask the Lord what he would have you do. Uh, so tomorrow night at 6 and then uh, Saturday from 8.30 to 12.30. We'll have food there tomorrow night in Dixon. It'll be a great time. You'll love these folks, even if you only come that one time, to pray together and pray for people and get to know these names and faces. We would love it if you do that. Let me pray, and then uh, Pastor Bryson will close the service. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this time we've had together today. I pray that you would even right now move in a supernatural way to stir those hearts that you're calling. I believe that you do call people and that you redirect their lives. I believe that your hand was on Titus, that your hand was on Timothy, that your hand was on Epaphroditus, that your hand was on uh, Apollos and the, on Priscilla and Aquila and all of these names that we've read of the New Testament. They just had to go through a moment just like this where they had to wrestle and surrender and, and see if they were willing to leave the comfortable space to go on a, on a mission on purpose for you to a place for a short time that you were calling them to. They didn't stay forever in Corinth. They didn't stay forever in Ephesus. Sometimes you call us for a long time. Sometimes it's a short time, but the calling came. Lord, would you help us to be open to actually being the church that we read of in the book of Acts would you help us to be open to our part in living like the church that we celebrate in the New Testament? And we pray first and foremost that if you're doing that, you would give us the love to do it with. In Jesus' name.